Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buena mi gente, Machete Mate back with our weekly current events episode today. Quick shout out to all our compas oficiales who've shown us all day on our Patreon. If you think it's dope what we do here with Machete Mate, want to help take part in bringing awareness to Latin America, imperialism, neoliberalism, and all that fucking bullshit, consider showing us some solidarity if you're able to. If not, it's all good because everything's free anyway. Um, anyway, I'm Leroy, coming from across the Tasman Sea from Aotearoa. Big shout out to the comrades, to the Kiwi comrades over in New Zealand. Big night for y'all. The election, the left was winning. Um, but we'll see how that actually materializes. Um, and I'm joined as usual by our director of podcast interview outreach, Austin. you damn right. What's up? <laughs> and our inter-podcast ambassador, T. How's it going? Yeah, you're ready now. Um a lot of shit going on this week. I don't know about you two, but it feels like we're at this sort of precipice of like shit just going to explode. And I don't know if like, cause we always talk about that when the shit's going down, everything's going to explode. But depending on who's covering it, like we either just kind of graze by people forget about it. But um, it actually, this feels like it's a very, very momentous point in history. That's going to, you know, it's going to explode, especially with the, with the, in the context of the election, believe it tomorrow. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, but this week, former Mexican defense minister and top troop was arrested at LAX on Thursday at the behest of the DA for drug trafficking, which makes for a very awkward situation for AMLO, who has put a lot of political capital in the military to battle these very things. Um, in an update to a story from last week, protesters in Costa Rica have temporarily lifted blockades in the face of confrontation with the state. Um, staying in Central America, the pandemic is proving to be an exacerbator exacerbator of human migration as coupled with neoliberal policies directed from the north has decimated an already economically decimated region um what we're seeing is an extra level of desperation within the migrant caravans um that have departed in recent days and recent weeks um but today we're going to talk about a few different things we're going to start the show with a general conversation about uh a topic that we don't really get to talk about much here on our show we should probably probably should relating to glacial melt in the Andes and just that within the context of um, climate change in general. Um, and if you've been following with us and listen to our um, everything we've been talking about, especially with Bolivia, you know how important the Andes ecosystem, the Andean social structures are important for the region, for the history, especially for the indigenous people in those areas. So this is a pretty, pretty big, important topic. Um, we'll be talking about a Brazilian senator um, hiding money in a very interesting um, location. <laughs> And what that means, <laughs> um, from, from T's giggles, I, I think you guys can already imagine like what we're talking about here, um, but, but we'll get to it. Um, story out of Haiti. Um, Haiti doesn't get much, enough love around the world, and we should probably be dedicating more, more love to Haiti, because Haiti was the blueprint. Um, general societal uprising against you know the state, against all the reforms, against the U.S.-friendly, neoliberal, IMF-friendly um, people who run that country. Um, we'll get to that as well. And of course, we'll finish the show off with the conversation about the election tomorrow in Bolivia. And we're going to tie that into a bit of what's happening in Chile as well. 
Um, I know we'll probably get into that, so we'll save the best for last. Um, but yeah, so we'll just get straight into our conversation about uh, the Glacier Mountain, Colombia, Peru, Chile, Bolivia. Um, this, it's, it's funny because this actually came from a article that we ran into. It goes, oh, yeah, it's a really, really interesting article. Look what it says. But it's from like 2009. Doesn't mean it's irrelevant. The shit's still going on. Um, so it's important to just revisit it, revisit everything that's happening. Because, again, like we're talking about, especially with um, our conversations about the Bolivian Constitution and the entire, you know, um, indigenous people there, how central the Andes are to South American culture generally. Um, and a lot of the countries, especially Colombia, I think um, something like they, 73% of their electricity or their power come from like um, like hydroelectricity. Electricity. Um, that comes from the glacial runoff in the Andes. So with all the with the glaciers melting, the future looks kind of bleak. I don't know. I don't know if TV will have anything else to say about about that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so y- you know, it's easy to, especially right now. You know, you mentioned earlier before we you know started recording that it you know or you mentioned that like it it definitely feels like shit is coming to a head. And so it's yeah. easy to kind of lose. Yeah, it, it's easy to kind of forget, <laughs> strangely enough, uh, some of the more pressing uh, environmental issues and news that's out there. Um, most of what people, you know, if America, people in the United States and Australia, if they're aware of any environmental news in South America specifically, it's probably related to wildfires in the Amazon and how the Amazon is at a tipping point. It's on the verge from going from uh, a rainforest to a savanna, which would really have devastating consequences, not just for the continent, but for the world. So we figured it would be interesting to look at another side of this because the fires in the Amazon are a reflection of just the warming temperatures and the changing climate. And we wanted to kind of think about, uh, the other side of it, which is uh, glacier melt. Now, like you mentioned, uh, we 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 found an article from like eleven years ago talking about this and and about the water stresses. I found some other articles. Um, I was doing a little bit of digging. Um, I want to do a lot more, but I love how you you said that you know the Andes are so important to the cosmology of a lot of the Andean peoples, and as an That's example right. of that. Yeah, and as an example of that, and you know, we're gonna move it. We're gonna be country hopping in a way with this uh, talking about the glacier melt. Um, so in Peru, uh, there's a very sacred glacier. Um, I'm gonna butcher the name, and I do, you know, beg the indulgence of uh, of listeners. Um, Coque Punco. Do you even know how to pronounce it, Austin? Yeah, didn't think so. Maybe I Fuck do. you. Um, but uh, it's a sacred glacier, and it it's it's it kind of it has it's part of a uh, uh, religious uh, belief in the area. So there's a a, a festival that happens. Uh, pilgrims go there. They they chant. They dance. They you know make offerings. Um, one of the more interesting parts of this ritual is that uh, I guess like priests sort of. Uh, they dress up in these kind of uh, costumes that are uh, like a creature, uh, uh, the ukuku. It's uh, like a half man, half bear type creature. And what they do is they would cut pieces of the glacier off and they dance and let it melt off their backs. And it's supposed to bring like blessings and, uh, you know, cleansing, stuff like that. You know, water as a cleansing agent 
practices in a lot of religions and it's no you know no surprise that it's also among the andean peoples so yeah. what's sad though and i'm going to quote from this article directly um a french glaciologist who has spent more than 20 years studying andean glaciers has joined three of these celebrations in his lifetime to his surprise though the ritual had changed by the last time he went into in 2012 i expected them to take the ice from the glacier to bring it down on their backs he recalled so I asked why they stopped, and they said, We saw that the glacier had retreated. It is ex- increasingly small. It is sick. So we don't want to cause it any more harm by removing more of its ice. End quote. Now, when I read that, I ca- my heart broke a little bit when I yeah. read that. It's, just, it's so fucking sad. Um, and this is a good example of how the ecology ties into not just people think about like the economic consequences, but there's also a cultural and a spiritual consequence to this. And part of that is these, you know, these people will, you know, they, they'll offer, you know, little uh, tokens and things like that, little offerings trying to, you know, a lot of the rituals now are related to trying to bring the glaciers back, but you know, some other residents, there's a quote further on that article where they're like, yeah, it's, it's not coming back. It's, it's done. Now, we can talk definitely about the economic consequences. One of them is in Colombia. Uh, about 73% yeah. of Colombian power comes from glacial runoff. Uh, also, it's related to a lot of the uh, agriculture in Chile, in Peru, in, in Bolivia is uh, based in glacial uh, runoff, especially in the dry months. Um, drinking water as well. La Paz, for example, about 30%. La Paz, Bolivia, I mean, about 30% of their drinking water comes from glacial runoff. So it it incorporates, and, you know, it makes sense that it incorporates, you know, the economic, cultural, spiritual uh, issues because it's the world. It's everything. We are in the world. And this kind of, uh, this kind of, uh, this kind of environmental catastrophe, and it is a catastrophe, affects not just nature, but people. Yeah, you're exactly right. And um, one thing I always think about is that one of the effects of capitalism is that it separates us from nature. I'm pretty sure Mark spoke about it. So it's easy to dismiss what's going on in, the, in, the, in nature when we perceive ourselves as being separate to it. You know what I mean? Whereas you get a lot of indigenous people, a lot of people who like to live a certain way, they are part of nature. So for them to actively ignore what's going on is to actively ignore what's going on if you have like gangrene on your hand, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get that look taken care of. You can do everything you can to preserve it. And that's just one of the unfortunate things about, um, about capitalism as well. And, um, one thing that I always found fascinating about, especially like, um, in like a lot of indigenous, um, cosmology and like, um, folk tales and religion and all that stuff is how they have a, a tendency to give agency to nature and different things. You know what I mean? So like, um, I think, I forget the name of the, the tribe in Colombia. I think it's the Kogi people. So basically they, they give everything in nature sort of a uh, familial role. So the, the forest is your brother. Uh, the mountains are your cousins and stuff like that. So basically what they're seeing, they're seeing a relative that is sick and a relative that is dying. And they have to live in a society that increasingly doesn't give a shit about that and increasingly tries to force them to adopt a lifestyle that forces them to not not be able to care in order to, to survive. You know what I mean? So it's just really fucking sad like, with what's going, what's going on. 
And um, we also we like to talk about as well, like how we're in apocalyptic times and stuff like that, where we look at like dystopian futures and post-apocalyptic like writings, like the destruction of the Andes is that for a lot of indigenous people. You know what I mean? Like the melting of the glaciers is a a pop apocalyptic event. You know? I'm glad you said that. Something to think about and something to remember is, you know, especially when us in the, uh, in the, you know, global north, uh, especially we think, oh, there's going to be an apocalypse. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's, look, the apocalypse is already here. It's just yeah. not everywhere yet. For a lot of people, they are already living in that dystopia. They're already living with the consequences of climate change. Um, 98% of glaciers in the Andes have shrunk this century. They're shrinking at, at at an alarming rate. In that 2009 article, it alleged that in, or it basically said that in 25 years from 2009, all Andean glaciers would be gone. Now, some people, you know, think, oh, well, you know, there might be some benefits in the beginning, like increased rivers, increased drinking water. But in the long term, that is devastating. And again, it's not just it's not just the economic consequences. There is there is the cultural consequences, uh, the spiritual consequences, the agricultural yeah. consequences. It it it's definitely going to shift things even further into heating. So the the fires in the Amazon, for example, are contributing a little bit to uh, this the melting uh, ice sheath or the melting glaciers. Apparently, um, in Argentina and Patagonia, uh, the glacier, the ice fields of Patagonia are thinning by an average of about 3.3 feet a year, uh, according to some studies. Um, so in Patagonia, in northern Patagonia, uh, it accounts for about 83% of all the ice loss in South America, which, again, that's part of what Patagonia is known for is, you know, it's, it's uh, 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 the, the ice sheets. The um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, now, another thing to remember, too, is that uh, a lot of rain, a lot of precipitation comes from, you know, the, the, the influence that the glaciers have on the environment. And the thing is, the, we're talking about different countries, we're mentioning different countries, um, we're mentioning different aspects uh, that this affects, because, again, it is the world. Now, one thing you did say that I might push back a little bit on, uh, Leroy, is capitalism as the source of this division in nature. I think this predates capitalism. I think there is something especially that comes out of uh, a lot of Western European philosophical traditions, um, this uh, this idea of a division between humanity and nature. And it's not just uh, uh, European ideologies. There are many ideologies around the world that kind of introduce an artificial distinction between humanity and nature as if we are apart and separate from it, as if we are supreme over the land. Um, Capitalism, however, has definitely exacerbated it. That's, you know, one of the, one of the powers and one of the really just worst qualities of capitalism is how it gives strength and exacerbates uh, bigotries and forms of control and domination that predate capitalism. I'm talking about racism and bigotry. I'm talking about, yep. again, ecological devastation. A lot of this stuff predates capitalism. 
this kind of uh, focus on production and extraction of resources, it predates capitalism. Capitalism, however, has exacerbated it and brought it to the world. And it gives it its power in this day and age, especially as we live in a global capitalist society. You know, one of the reasons why, you know, a socialist politic is so crucial is because if we dismantle capitalism, we will take away a lot of the power or a lot of the uh, ability for these kind of these pre-modern bigotries, these pre-modern uh, forms of destruction and control. Yeah. We we remove a lot of uh, its ability to, to for for the ruling class to exercise it. Yeah, that's fair, man. So if I were to take a different point of view or a different kind of contextual perspective here regarding this story and this issue more generally speaking. Um, I'm a political partisan, right? I like to, I embrace uh, socialism, right? And socialists across the world. The next time uh, we need to remember this affects all of the countries in South America, right? All of the countries in the world. The next time you see some sort of selective article or campaign saying, oh, you see, it's Avil's fault. The fucking Amazon's on fire. Oh, it's Venezuela's fault. They're the ones producing oil. That's bullshit. That is bullshit. And it is specifically designed to put pressure on these leftist governments, right? It is. We need to be pressuring. If you care about the fires, if you care about the glacial melt, you need to be pressuring the global north, the United States, Europe, the countries that thrive on exploiting these goddamn countries, right? Not just saying, oh, it's Moss's fault and fucking Avo, you know, whatever the fuck, which too many people bought into that bullshit narrative when that was going on. And this is happening in all of these goddamn countries. We can't be singling out one or the other. If I'm not mistaken, one of Bolsonaro's first campaign points was to open on open up the Amazon rainforest. Like that was off the bat, I'm gonna open up the Amazon rainforest for quote unquote investment in farming and shit. You know what I mean? This is absolutely fucking suicidal. It is the that policy to to open up you know, to allow loggers to just go fucking hog wild in the Amazon is is suicide. It's if we I cannot even imagine I cannot conceive of the consequences if I mean, can we talk about ifs anymore? When when the Amazon tips into uh, Savannah? What you have not factored into is that God will decide when the world ends. So fuck you and fuck your science. And I find that so funny, too, um, that a lot of these so-called Christians make those kinds of assertions when it's, you know, not to get not to get all Bible on y'all, but uh, it says that, man, no one will know the day or the hour when the end comes, you know, but these people don't don't understand that and don't recognize that. Yeah, you damn scientists. <laughs> no, that was that that was directed at these these fucking Christo fascist assholes who who uh, who claim to, you know, speak for God when really they're speaking for their pocketbooks and their fucking wallets. Yeah, absolutely. Um but like again going back to your sort of your point about um, the racism bigotries whatever like one thing that we can't ignore is capital coming in and just exacerbating this you know economic this um ecological um destruction is a form of racism is 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 genocide you know what i mean because again andean people whether it's the aymara the quechua people you know up and down the andes like that is their home that is the traditional home all their collective historical cultural memories are based there and by allowing this shit to happen, you, they're taking an active role in the destruction of these people. 
Like, no one has to come in, call them, like, a slur, or, like, just go and, like, massacre entire villages. This, this is, this is that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we'll just keep the ball rolling because we could be talking about this forever because, again, this is something that affects every single fucking corner of the planet. And we'll, we'll definitely um, include a lot more climate stories um, at, in our current events and in just, just, just talking about it because ecology is should be central to any self-respecting communist or anarchist uh, perspective or, you know, any radical. Ecology must be central to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's something that's probably our fault. We should have been focusing more on that. But um, definitely going forward, we'll, we'll make it a point and make it happen. Um, but yeah, moving along, we'll um, touch a little bit on Haiti, where the political organization Fanmi Lavalas advocates general and permanent mobilizations across the entire national territory to liberate the country from the power in the palace. So, as usual, as dating back to the Haitian Revolution back in 1804, like Haiti has been ruled by turmoil, has been ruled by neocolonialism, has never known peace in its in its history, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. We have um, recent protests of you know, ex- exploded, have, have, have increased. Uh, the state has come down on them, killing students, killing a bunch of activists. And now you see a major political organization calling for the removal of the people in power. So first of all, I must say, I can't think of a more appropriate time to talk about Haiti than this, the anniversary of the death of Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Yeah, exactly. The fucking man. He was the fucking man. Yeah. Yes. Shout out. Shout out. Uh, anybody who hasn't read Black Jacobins, uh, you need to go fuck yourself if you haven't read it. Um, that's like extreme required reading. Um, so, ah, you know, Haiti is another thing that we we should probably be talking about. You know, more obviously. You know, I think it's it's a shame that so many leftists uh, in the United States throughout the world, right, champion haiti as like this beautiful thing like oh you know the slave rebellion right and then make zero effort to understand modern haiti or actually support uh, movements such as family level you know which is jean bertrand de aristide's party right you know aristide yeah. being the uh the first democratically elected president of haiti back in the 90s who was cooed <laughs> eventually became president again after returning from exile in the 2000s was cooed again right yeah. so literally haiti has been intentional it has been by design that haiti has been fucked uh time and time again was it aristide that they legit went to his room like in the middle of the night and like just picked him up and took him was it aristide i know that happened to zelaya so that might be what you're thinking of but it probably wouldn't even be remotely shocked no, if it happened to aristide too. no i know it happened to i know it happened to zelaya but i'm pretty sure it happened to aristide like they legit just rocked up picked him out of his bed and just took him and that was it I mean, that sounds about right. I wouldn't be remotely surprised. <laughs> Under Clinton, too, I want to mention the first coup. Keep that yep. in mind. Fuck Democrats. Holy shit. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, oh, what's it called? So getting to, to what we're talking about here, there are so many layers to the current protests that have been, go- that have been ongoing in Haiti. And the significance of the story cannot be, um, cannot be underemphasized, right? I hate the narrative that you hear in United States media of, oh, yep, Haiti and riots and protests again, <laughs> right? The context of what is going on right now is Fanmi Lavalas has just called for a renewed wave of protests. If you were yep. actually paying attention to Haiti, you would know that protests have actually been relatively quiet lately, as opposed to last year where there was shit going off, you know, nonstop. 
Family Lavalas and a lot of other parties in Haiti are now calling for renewed vigor and renewed uh, protest, in part because of the uh, there's been like assassinations going on uh, going on against like different like uh, uh, student leaders and leftist leaders. I know uh, a prominent one. Let me. Yeah. Uh, Gregory San Hilaire, I guess is how you would pronounce that, was a prominent student leader who was killed by right wing forces in Haiti. These are the same right wing forces that are that are funded by, that are trained by literally like the United States and, 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 uh, and, you know, special interests, so to speak. Um, and once again, there are so many goddamn layers to what is going on in Haiti. Um, little bit of background. So obviously a lot of people know the earthquake in Haiti and what was that? 2010 was a, a significant event, a massive event and yep. a massive upheaval in Haitian society and Haitian politics, right? It's been, extremely controversial uh within haiti how like the funds for like relief efforts and things like that have been used because there's been a significant amount of fuckery right and you know a couple years after the earthquake i am compelled to point out whoops i am compelled to point out that venezuela under chavez (laughs) oh yeah you know you motherfuckers know where i'm going with this venezuela under Chavez, did more for Haiti than any fucking shit-talking U.S. leftist could ever dream of when he uh, uh, negotiated trade deals with Haiti to get Haiti into Petro-Caribe, which gave, which gave them the opportunity to buy cheap oil. God damn it. On that point, fun fact, the international airport in La Cap, so northern Haiti, is called Hugo Chavez International Airport. Just throwing that out there. I love that. I love that. How many, how many, I'm sorry, I hate to be that guy that bitches about leftists all the time, but how many leftists would say, oh my God, you know, Haiti, oh, it's beautiful. Goddamn Chavez fucking dictatorship in Venezuela. Meanwhile, the Haitians who, another thing that drives me crazy, people do not give the Haitians enough credit for how politically sophisticated they are. Hell no, they don't. Hell no. Yes, the the protests, they started because of the misuse of Petro-Caribe funds, because of the fucked up, you know, Haitian government of Jovenel Moyes misusing the the funds that the government had received due to the Petro-Caribe program, which was started under Chavez, right? The Haitian people recognized the support that Chavez gave them. You were very appreciative of the support, right? And it's because of what has happened that, that people have been out in the streets for the past few years protesting for the downfall of Jovenel Moyes. And that is exactly why Fanmi Lavalas has been calling for a renewed protest as well, to demand the downfall of Jovenel Moyes, who has been this explicit, you know, puppet of the United States, right? He's like, oh my God, there's so many layers to this shit. God damn it. We need to do like a a Haitian deep dive, right? Like I remember when Jovenel Moyes was elected. Yeah, I remember when Jovenel Moyes was elected, like, just the cluster fuckery that went into that when like there was supposed to be a runoff and then it got delayed and then it never happened. And now parliamentary elections are delayed for like two more fucking years. And just nobody gives a fuck. Nobody gives a fuck. It's just accepted. Oh, well, it's Haiti. Duh. Of course it's fucked up. No motherfucker. They're literally out there fighting against it and nobody offers them solidarity. And it drives me fucking crazy. To your point, Austin, like any, and we see this story over and over again, not just in Latin America, not just in the Caribbean, but in Africa, in Asia, whenever, like, the people try to build something new. They try to create a society for themselves. Every time they're about to lift themselves up and, you know, build something new, what happens? 
the imperialist West comes in and fucks it up. They ally with reaction, domestic reactionaries that, you know, the compradors uh, to use the you know technical term, I guess. Um, to, and, and they ruin it. They destroy it. Look, you know, look at Aristide. Cooed twice. Cooed twice. And his first coup was in the early 90s when he was, you know, oh, the first democratically elected president of Haiti. Literally, at the same time when the United States is pressuring countries across the world, leftist regimes across the world, to, you better have democratic elections. Fuck you, motherfuckers. Fuck you, Nicaragua. Fuck all these people. You better have democratic elections. Meanwhile, while Haiti has elections, oh, sorry, you didn't elect the person we wanted. Go fuck yourselves. Well, they chose a liberation theologian, and, you know, that is one of the great crimes. You can't... Anytime a liberation theologian uh, lifts their head up or starts preaching the gospel, you know, and more importantly, lives the gospel and tries to put those principles into their, you know, political practice, God forbid. And that's the thing, man. Aristide is one of those figures that it's too damaging to the narrative. His his existence, Fami Lavalas's existence, a president, a dem- the first democratically elected president of Haiti just happens to be somebody who tells the IMF to fuck off. Who says to France, hey, guess what? You motherfuckers owe us reparations, right? But that doesn't fit with the narrative, right? That doesn't fit with the narrative, and they can't accept it, and they had to stop to, to stop it. Yeah, and just um, continuing with Aristide and sort of the, the like decolonization as a whole, I think I've mentioned it before that from the point of the Haitian Revolution, French was still used as an official you know, language of government, of school, of education, until the mid-late 80s. I'm pretty sure it was Aristide that was pushing for Haitian Creole to be the prominent language of the people because 95% of the people in Haiti don't speak French fluently, but that was the language of education, of government, of sophistication. So you have an entire population who they had no access to power, to capital, because they just couldn't communicate, um, you know, like with, with the right people. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you point that out. And the thing is, Aristide is one of those guys that his whole story, his whole background, he was destined to be a world historical figure. The type of guy that wins a fucking Nobel Peace Prize and is remembered on fucking Aristide Day, right? But wrong place, wrong time, and you happen to just be in the shadow of the U.S. Empire. So fuck you and fuck everything you're trying to do for your people. Yeah, but you know who didn't get cooed by the U.S.? Papa Duck. Baby Duck. Both educated <laughs> in the U.S., both, you know, in that pocket, and these were fucking monsters, man. Like fucking monsters. They had nice, long dictatorships, multiple decades. You have Aristide, who, I mean, by all accounts, was just your normal populist left leader, in fucking tolerable. Yeah, like like I said, I feel like, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens with this, these renewed protests. I just tell people, you know. You know, be, be mindful of it. You know, I think uh, on Twitter, the, the Haiti Information Project is a wonderful thing that I, that I encourage people to to follow, to, to stay up to date with things. Um, and yeah, we just uh, we need to, to give Haiti Haiti its due and, and have a, a, more, a more deeper, uh, a deeper discussion on Haiti sometime soon, I think would be would be good. Yeah, absolutely. And I just got to say that I grew up around a lot of Haitians. So where I grew up, big Haitian community, some of the fucking nicest, most humble funniest fucking people on the planet and it's a shame their history is is what it is especially after the the earthquake i remember i had haitian friends neighbors workmates who lost everything like they lived in, in florida but their parents their grandparents all died like and because of just the generational trauma of being haitian of being from haiti 
it was so nonchalant because yeah you know my parents died yeah we lost everything we did this and it was just like nothing and that's oh. that's 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 what like historical generational trauma does it just makes catastrophe so like mundane and just so nonchalant so just average but anyway a little bit of change of pace now um so a senator from brazil was caught with money and his fucking ass cheeks t i know you're fucking dying for this one so i'll probably let you fucking take it because this is just ridiculous I don't, I don't have much to say on it except that, like, it, it has to do with some of my favorite things, which is, like, an arrested politician and putting things in an ass. Like, in my <laughs> – so, you know, two of my favorite <laughs> concepts to think about. Here's the thing. This guy's name is Chico Rodriguez. Motherfucker. Really? He literally sounds like the kind of guy that would shove money up his ass. See, and that killed me even more because I'm Rodriguez as well. So, like <laughs> – Reading this, I'm like, come on, man! Like, come on! What the fuck? What the no, fuck? No, 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 no! All our nick, all our last names is Padriguez now. Is Padriguez? <laughs> that's right. That's our, that's our collective Padriguez. last name. Anyway, for me, what's interesting is that this senator is senator for the state of um Roraima. I think I'm Roraima, however you pronounce it. Um, which is coincidentally where Mike Pompeo went to visit a few weeks ago when he went to do his grand tour of South America. When he was taught, when he was organizing war games on the border of Venezuela, it was in this state as well. And now this guy was caught with money and stuff. Um, but a bit of context: this money, what comes from potential embezzlement and um, money laundering of like COVID nineteen like ventilators, and it's something that we see we're seeing across the world. Like there was reports in Bolivia with the Añez government doing the same shit, like these massive markups on ventilators, and they're like, where the fuck's the money going? And they're still going to the IMF for money for for loans because there's no money in, in the country. That's exactly what we're seeing here. And those regions, especially like the the areas that are uh, on the border with Venezuela, I'm speaking, you know, speaking specifically of like Colombia, for example, those areas are always flush with money uh, because, you know, obviously the states are are trying to, you know, induce as much instability in Venezuela as possible. It would not surprise me if a lot of the same borderlands of Brazil and Venezuela are also awash in this kind of like national defense money, quote unquote, oh, we're going to care about, you know, we're going to, this is about the pandemic. Yeah, sure it is. Bolsonaro doesn't give a fuck about the pandemic. Um, Brazil has some of the worst uh, COVID rates in the whole fucking region, right? This is all the whole about, world. Exactly. This is, this is all about him enriching his uh, fucking, uh, like his fucking little uh, Renfields and fucking minions in uh in those borderlands and it just so happened that this motherfucker was shoving you know probably u.s money up his asshole because <laughs> you know wow <laughs> i believe i believe i believe it was the equivalent of five thousand u.s dollars something like that what the fuck how did he do that i don't even want to know what i do know is that apparently investigators said that uh the money was apparently shit stained so just keep that in mind everybody <laughs> um for <laughs> Because this is a very important point. Left-wingers have perfect, wonderful, clean assholes. Right-wingers don't wipe. Right-wingers, conservatives do not wipe their ass. This is an established fact. <laughs> All right? So that's something is very important to remember. You know, conservatives do not wipe. They think it's, it's, yeah. it's gay or something. You know, it's a little too gay for them or whatever. Right? Left-wingers, on the, other, on the other hand, have wonderful, glorious asses. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty remember? sure Marx wrote about it as well. True, true. 
I remember <laughs> there was that image that was like going around on Twitter. Um, I don't know, like a year ago. I, I think it was proven to be fake, but I'm gonna choose to believe it was real. Of Eduardo Bolsonaro, <laughs> uh, Jair's son. It was like a picture that apparently had. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the picture that was supposed to be on like Instagram or something of like him, like cl- apparently clearly on the shitter, like with his pants down, like from his vantage point, And like it was a picture of a gun, like in his underpants, like as a point of, haha, I'm always strapped. But you could clearly see skid marks on the underwear. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that was ever proven to be real or not, but I'm choosing to believe so. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a picture that makes perfect sense because it is exact and then it's a great example of how how much the same fascists in in south america and fascists in the united states are because they're always they're always taking the stupidest pictures with their fucking guns and they all don't wipe their asses that point cannot be emphasized enough they do not wipe their asses so hold on real quick i well, okay, I'll let you go, Leroy, before I say something else. Yeah, I was going to say just a little bit on that. Like, I saw a video actually today, I think out of the UK, of this cop that tries to jump like a fence, gets caught. He's caught on the fence upside down. His So the the actual things oh, were like yeah. pulling his pants, <laughs> and he has whitey tighties, and there's a shit stain, and everybody's fucking laughing at him, and they get him down, and he just walks off in shame. Like, it was what fucking fuck? brilliant. And the thing is, you what see the, the shit stain, fuck? like, growing as well, like... So he's shitting himself while he's upside down hanging. Oh yeah. my god. What okay. the fuck? Okay, okay. We've gone far on this shit stain tangent. I was going to hopefully bring in some more political context here. Um, so Chico Rodriguez is, uh, or I guess was at this point, Bolsonaro's second in command in the Senate. So this dude was a legit higher up dude in, in Bolsonaro's uh, uh I guess his his team or whatever. This is a like within the Brazilian context, Bolsonaro has tried to frame this as, oh, you see, even dudes that were close to me, if they're corrupt, we're going after them because I'm going after corruption. And this is a shameless attempt to cover up the legitimacy of Sergio Moro, who, you know, is a motherfucker in his own right. But Sergio Moro, who left Bolsonaro's administration earlier this year, saying, yeah, so you know how we said Lula and Dilma were all corrupt or whatever the fuck? Well, Bolsonaro's corrupt, too, so I'm getting the fuck out of here. Fuck Sergio Moro, goes without saying, but that was a major blow to Bolsonaro's legitimacy. And this is an attempt to say, oh, look, haha, even my fucking goons aren't safe because I'm here for the people. But yeah, we know that's bullshit. It's it's like the United States. It's like Trump and Roger Stone. Roger Stone, yeah. who, you know, is just, you know, filthier than, you know, that cop's fucking underwear, filthier than, you know, <laughs> Bolsonaro's son's shitty fucking underwear. But he got pardoned, you know, and and like Moro is it's no it's no different than like the the quote unquote never Trump Republicans who are also fucking just the amount of like Iraqi lies that a lot of those never Trumpers have on their you know the the blood on their hands is fucking unreal it's the same dynamic you know all these people you know fuck them for different reasons Bolsonaro Bolsonaro for being you know the wannabe dictator it, it's no different it's the same kind of bullshit yeah, and like Bolsonaro's son's still under investigation in Rio de Janeiro. There's the governor of Rio de Janeiro who's under investigation. And again, it's all bullshit. And what's what's funny is um what's interesting, I'm glad that we talked about Sergio Sergio Moro, who's was immensely popular because he was the guy fighting corruption in Brazil. Um and he's bounced. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects Bolsonaro's popularity going forward. Like to be honest, like I don't know how much of a like an effect it'll have. It'll be like a top popular Republican becoming another Trumper. 
doesn't won't really affect Trump. You know what I mean? And I think that's sort of the same thing we're seeing here. The only positive I can see is introducing division in the right. You know, that's the only yeah. good thing. You know, anytime reactionaries are divided or feuding amongst themselves is a win in my book. Um, it's definitely something that, you know, militants, popular movements and radicals can definitely take advantage of. And here's the thing, speaking from my extremely biased and extremely petty position when it comes to Brazil, seeing Sergio Moro's legitimacy be completely destroyed gives me a good opportunity to show my ass to anybody who was saying that Sergio Moro, oh, you see, Moro, it's legit, man, the PT and the fucking corruption. No, dude, it was an extremely politicized investigation just to take down the PT because Sergio Moro was always a piece of shit, and it's very good to see him being exposed as such. Yeah, no. 100%. Um, But as usual, Brazil is always a fucking clusterfuck. And the thing with Brazil, like, there's always layers to this shit. You know what I mean? Because there's such a divided, such a multi-layered sort of society. So trying to unite these things is always difficult. And, like, this, I'm just just glad that at least we got some some brevity, some levity here with the dude shitting the money in his asshole. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But... In saying that, with more shitty situations, we'll, we'll, we'll finish off the show with Bolivia. So, election is tomorrow for me, for you, both of us, whatever. Shit is getting serious. Like, the right wing's already setting the groundwork for delegitimizing the entire process. Murillo has already mobilized troops in fucking El Alto, La Paz, which are big mass, you know, points, points of, of support. And is already saying that anyone who says anything against the, the press of the election... It's going to be charged with sedition, terrorism, going to be thrown in jail. Speaking of which, one of the legislators from Argentina, who was sent over as an observer, made it through made it through um, immigration in Cochabamba, landed in La Paz, and was immediately detained with no explanation, with no, the guy who in charge of doing it was like, oh, you're in our country and blah, blah, blah. You had to follow our rules. And the guy's like, we did. Like, we were let through immigration over there. What the, what the fuck's wrong now? Taken to detention. I think he spent the night, but he, he got out and he's still back. He's still back at it now. Um, that even phase like that that just goes to show um, what's going on, and also um, something that just got released today, Bolivia, basically at the center of all the shit storm that happened during the coup was the whole early count and all that bullshit. They have a certain system that was in charge of doing that, and after that of the coup election last year, it got um, quote unquote fixed, got you know checked, got you know improved or whatever. Ob- observers came in and like, look, this shit is still shit it's not gonna fucking work like what the fuck's going on here so the government completely scrapped the entire idea so we're not going to know any early results until or at at all until the actual full results come out speaking of uh, election observers from what i understand uh the cob which is you know like the largest trade union confederation um has stated that they will engage in elector uh election observing themselves um which is, you know, an example of the further politicization of just the vote itself. The troop, you know, on the right wing side, the coup government side, they're sending troops out. Uh, the unions and the social movements are also mobilizing their forces. This is, it's coming to a head. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, oh man, I have like a thousand different things to say about this. The first thing that I'm going to say is that very likely, by the time you hear this, <laughs> the entire situation could be completely fucking different. That's how quick yeah. shit has been moving. Like, day by day, I'll wake up and, like, whatever the fuck I knew in the morning is different by night. 
like just like you said, Leroy, the announcement that they're not doing the rapid uh, voting or whatever. For all the fuck we know, by the time we've done, re- we're finished recording this. Oh, breaking news! Actually, there's some weird bullshitty version that they're doing. I doubt that'll happen, but just for example, yeah. the how quickly this shit has been moving, right? Um, I, God, there's so many different factors to 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 bring in here. First of all, I feel compelled, and I you know saw some people shitting on this, which kind of made me scratch my head. Shout out Ilhan Omar, who put out a tweet saying, oh, I've seen the Agnes administration has been detaining observers. Good. We need more people raising awareness for this, right? To me, I am encouraged when I see United States politicians offering solidarity and support to Bolivia at this moment. I think that's incredibly important. I think um, I think it's going to be, I think it's almost guaranteed that there's going to be some sort of fuckery that happens. Absolutely. Just a quick yeah, just a quick note of that. Um, I didn't want to, you know, I know you got a lot to say, uh, but that this is interesting. The Bolivia situation, I have noticed since the coup, a slow but pers- but a very real change in the attitudes of a lot of left wingers in the United States from the street level to some elected politicians like Ilan Omar, right, where they're not going they're not just going along with the narrative like they normally do with Venezuela with other countries down there. And that is very heartening in my opinion. Yeah. And I think part of that is just because how egregious it is, man, it's literally the continuation of indigenous genocide. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. That's literally yeah. what this is, right? It's a lot easier to try and obscure things in Venezuela. And Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they both look bad to me. Right. In Bolivia, it's so fucking obvious what is happening, right? You have to be the biggest mark on earth if you can't see what the fuck's going on right or you buy the fucking oas narrative right um but yeah with so there's definitely so yeah there's various observers there in bolivia yo i we have been saying on the podcast for weeks now we've pretty much consolidated around a a a prediction right which is that moss is not going to win outright in the first round right which i have to say seeing felipe quispe endorse moss what was that literally yesterday yeah. That leads me to believe if this is a fair vote, they will win. They will yeah. win, but it won't be a fucking fair vote. That's what's crucial here, right? I am convinced now that if they don't win, it was 1,000% rigged. Even if every fucking observer somehow comes out and says, oh, I'm, I don't know, it looked good to me. I don't know, man, dude. You've got Felipe Quispe out here endorsing my That is some significant shit. Like I know we touched upon this uh, upon him a little bit uh, during our deep dives, but I know Leroy, you're you're a fan, so I'll, I'll let you talk. About it. Yeah, I was gonna say, and we touched on him a little bit with our interview with um, Colectivo Causa. If you haven't checked that out, definitely check that out. Uh, group of people doing really good work in the DMV area in terms of um, believing solidarity. But this is because what you need to understand about Felipe Quispe, Felipe Quispe is an Aymara nationalist. For him, anything that's called Bolivia, anything related to the concept of Bolivia, is illegitimate because the existence of a Bolivia in any form is in a colonial imposition. So for him to come out and say, you know what, let's vote for Mas is fucking massive because you're going to get a lot of indig- rural indigenous folks who see Felipe Quispe as their leader, as this guy who's going to lead them back to, you know, the collective memory of the glory days of, you know, the Aymara people. They're going to come out in- en masse and follow their leader and vote for Mas. But again, just like you said, Austin, like it's all going to depend if it's a fair vote. And we we, we fucking know it's not going to be a fucking fair vote. Yeah, this is a great example of something that you see we see a lot in Bolivia or we saw a lot in Bolivia during the uh, Evo era, which is, you know, the the kind of like 
and we see it in in any country that was under the a pink tide government, a socialist government, where again, and we talk about it a lot, where you have a situation where you have the socialists in government and popular movements, uh, independent working class and indigenous institutions that operate in almost a kind of dance, right? Sometimes yeah. uh, it's it's sometimes it's positive. Sometimes you know they're doing great moves together, and sometimes it's discordant and there's conflict. It's happened repeatedly uh, in Bolivia. There was a lot of conflict between uh, social movements and the Evo government, but again, as we saw in or as we see in Venezuela, as we see in a lot of these countries, the social movements are wise, and they know, and and people involved know that they are better able to advance their causes under a socialist government than they would a far right or far right government like you know what Camacho would propose or you know the stereotypical neoliberal just a a capitalist government like uh Carlos Mesa is trying to promote um so you know the significance is very important hope you know the, and from what i've seen and i i've read some sources to uh from like Catarista groups operating in Bolivia that, you know, sometimes, especially during the blockades a few months, you know, in, you know, in the last couple months, they, they felt that Moss wasn't really pulling their weight. I have seen some Catarista sources, you know, make that, uh, you know, state that, but uh, I think that even these groups under, you know, these groups understand that, it's a question of having someone that they can negotiate with versus someone that only believes in like suppression and, and violence and, you know, the end of their, of their existence. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that reminds me of like the entire concept of solidarity. What is solidarity? You know what I mean? And I think, um, I think it was Richard Spencer or one of those fucking right wing people, whatever they said, what the left, what left wingers have on right wing people is love. They actually love each other, whereas the right wingers have no fucking solidarity, which is why you see Camacho. Camacho still hasn't capitulated to like advance because Camacho will be better able to achieve what he wants to achieve by supporting Mesa, making sure he's in power. And then you can't tell me that Mesa isn't going to turn a blind eye and be like, oh, you know, slap on the wrist. Oh, please don't do that. You know what I mean? Camacho's not thinking. Camacho just wants fucking power. Whereas Felipe, Felipe Quispe, as much power that he wants to advance his cause, he knows He'll be in a better position by showing solidarity with even the most milquetoast in his mind movements in in the region. Thank God um, that Camacho, at least at this time of this recording, has still not pulled out of the election because he's such a fucking narcissist. Despite the threats from the uh, coup leaders that they'll you know arrest him too for being uh, you know a fucking psychopath. Um, quick point, I believe it was Matt Heimbach who said that about the left. Uh, Matt Heimbach, uh, <laughs> for those uh, who don't know, um, although he's kind of a, a figure of, of, he's kind of a joke now, um, for a while there, in my opinion, he was the most dangerous fascist uh, activist in the United States operating because of his message and because of his organizational uh, strategy and techniques. But that's neither here nor there. Um yeah, I mean, thank God, again, that at time of recording, Camacho is still doing his thing. Because um, if Camacho withdrew from the election, the right wing would have a real shot of a legitimate victory, surprisingly enough. 
Yeah, definitely. And we've talked touched upon this a bit in previous episodes as well, but I feel compelled to remind people. The reason, you know, you might be asking yourself, well, what the fuck? Why isn't Kamacha doing that? Is, is he really just that big of an asshole? Number one, yes, he is that big yes. of an asshole. <laughs> and, and number two, the reason the reasoning is in Fernando Luis Fernando Camacho's de- delusional mind, he sees, hey, I don't have to get that much of a percentage. If I can just beat Meza, I go to the runoff. And if I go to the runoff, then I become president, which, you know, I suppose it's not completely impossible, but it's extremely unlikely. But in his delusional mind, that's something that he's holding out hope for. That's also why you saw so many candidates like Anyez staying in there for, for quite a while, though they have since, you know, uh, uh, she and what is it, Tutoki Roga have since uh, conceded and uh, endorsed Meza. Um, a lot of them were hanging in there, holding out hope. Oh, maybe I'm the uh, maybe I'm the one that uh, gets the right wing vote. Maybe I'm the one that goes to the runoff against Moss and, and is able to win. But and, and that's why I don't expect him to drop out either. I, I don't expect it to happen ahead of the elections. I mean, it's too late now, any fucking way, right? Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen tomorrow. I'm. I put out a a harrowing tweet, a tweet that uh sends chills down my spine. Um, but I remember when the Bolivian coup was first happening. You know, I saw a lot of people making comparisons to Allende in Chile, right? That's the comparison that leftists love to make. You know what I saw echoes of? I saw echoes of Guatemala, man. That's what the fuck I saw. Fuck. Guatemala had a 10-year... People forget. People just think, oh, you know, our Benz. He was trying to do land reform. Our Benz and... uh, Oh, what the fuck was his name? Oh, God. I'm literally going to look this up right now because I refuse to not uh, get this dude's name. His his predecessor. Our Benz and his predecessor had literally been in power for 10 years. This is referred to as like the Guatemalan Revolution, the the ten years where Juan Jose Arevalo, that was the first president. That's people him. Always forget, yep. Yeah, people always forget Arevalo. Um, they were, they, you know, the Guatemalan Revolution was a ten year period, right? They had been in power. They were really doing the ten years of spring. You know, some people call it right. This was a major moment in Guatemalan history, right? After the coup in Guatemala, what happened? Fifty years of civil war. Why the ethnic divide, man? 50 yeah, years of genocide, dude. Whole villages. Like, bro, that new La Llorona movie, I can... It's hard for me to even watch it because of the scenes where... It's basically Efrain Rios Monitor referring to because of the scenes where you see villages getting, like, massacres. Because that shit really happened, man. You know? And I could... Oh, I'm terrified to see what could happen in Bolivia because it could easily take that that dark of a turn, in my opinion. I think the big difference between and why your thoughts kind of ring true, the comparison to Guatemala rather than Chile, is because of the length of time. The length of time that the left was in power, that the popular people, you know, the people themselves were able to build their own institutions. They had the infrastructure to carry on a civil struggle against the state, right? Bolivia was under Moss for how long? How long has it been? Over 10 years. Um, about, about 14 years, about 14 years, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, that's a long time. That's a long time. They have had time to build up their own institutions. They've had time to plan for this possibility, right? Chile was a little different. Chile, the left, had was sabotaged from the beginning, from the jump. Uh in many ca- in many ways, Allende never had a chance from from the moment he you know swore uh, to you know to was inaugurated. Bolivia is different. Bolivia, like you said, very much like Guatemala, and the ethnic and racial divides and the class divides 
um, and the political divides are as pronounced, if not more so, I hesitate to say, if only because of how long and how, in many ways, I would say Morales was more radical than uh, Arbenz was. Uh, Arbenz, in many cases, was part of that trend in 20th century Latin American countries of, you know, the interventionist state, but not necessarily a socialist uh, state. Um, so that's that's heavy. Yeah, with Arbenz calls himself a capitalist. He's like, I'm a capitalist. He want, His entire thing was to, to take Guatemala out of that semi-feudal state and move towards capitalism. You know what I mean? If we, if we remember our Marxist sort of historical materialism, like Guatemala up until like the 40s and arguably till now, it existed in a semi-feudal state. Arbenz comes, I want to modernize Guatemala. I want to bring it into be, become a world player. Well, he called himself a capitalist. He never proclaimed to, to be a socialist or communist or anything. He was a bit friendly with the communists, just, you know, for the sake of, you know, building power and stuff. But he was never, he called himself a capitalist. But even that, even even that, like we talk about all the time, even that was, was, was too much for global capital and for the global north and for all these fucking, like, imperialism, whatever. But, um, just quickly, just on the point of um, on Chile, like we can't forget as well. Like next week, Chile has their referendum on the constitution, the same constitution that was passed under Pinochet in nineteen eighty. So even though Pinochet hasn't been in power since the mid eighties, they still have the same fucking constitution that is a fucking terrible. Like if you if you get a chance to look at it, actually go through through the constitution, it's fucking garbage. But they're having the, the referendum next week, um, so it'll be interesting what comes out of that. But all the polls show that um. Approvals high for a change, but um, we'll see because with these things, we never fucking know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be different because Chile is it's it's still contested space. It's not like uh, like a, a Chavez or a Naeva with their political party and, and the movements behind them are, you know, yeah. inaugurating a new era. So it's very much a it's a different situation in Chile uh, with their, yeah. new, you know, the possibility of maybe drafting a new constitution. Um, something I want to kind of rewind back to a little bit is, again, uh, the the sort of interventionist state and so- civil society that Arbenz built. Again, part of that trend in 20th century uh, Latin American politics that uh, the best analogy is like the New Deal in the United States or uh, post-World War II England the uh, under Clement Attlee. Um very different from what's happening in uh, Bolivia. Um, I'm sorry. I just, I, I did not think, I didn't see that uh, tweet of yours, Austin, but like, so I'm kind of reacting in real time to it, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. Fuck. Sorry. Sorry for bringing the dark energy in here um, with my brilliant foresight. Um, but <laughs> fuck you. Um, no, but, uh, no, but on a serious note, um, I, you know, I'm glad you touched upon the referendum in Chile, Leroy. We will go into it deeper next week because it's it's uh, something that deserves a whole chunk of time in and of itself, what's been going on in Chile. And the importance of this referendum vote, which will be, um, I think, next Sunday? Sometime next week. Um, yeah. After. Okay, wonderful. Okay, cool. Yeah, so we'll yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be able to, to go into it deeper. Um, something that I would, I feel we're compelled to do, right, b- before we go off is, What's our final predictions? Are we sticking to our guns? Are we? Oh, well, let's go around the room, Leroy. What What is your final prediction for for Bolivia tomorrow, bro? I'm gonna keep it real. I'm gonna keep it consistent. It's gonna be some fuckery. Like you're gonna see um, mask get close because even before Felipe Quispe's endorsement, they were like 
9.8% up. You know what I mean? They were this close to just an all-out all like first-round victory. With Felipe Quispe, it's going to push him over the, over the top, I reckon. But in saying that, the Honduras situation is going to get close. Lights are going to go off. Troops are going to come in. Someone's going to say some bullshit like, Anya smells, and they're going to be arrested for sedition, and they're going to come down and crack and delegitimize everything. And hopefully not, but I mean, let's let's keep it real, you know, bro. The hunter, oh my god, like motherfuckers got to realize. I remember looking at I, that's a whole that takes a deep dive in and of itself. I that good use job. your words, man. Explode, just trying to process. I'm going to give it to my brother. What's your prediction? So I, I at first I. I wasn't going to revise what we had said, but seeing what's been happening in the last few days, in the last week, the last couple hours, frankly, I would actually be surprised if they even allow Moss to make it past the first round. The fact that they've deployed troops already, the fact that there's already uh, threats of arresting people, that they're detaining uh, yeah. elect- election observers, it's possible that they just decide, oh, they, you know, Mesa one, first round done, it's over, it's over, fuck you, you know, don't, it's it's done, we're not going to do another election, elections are canceled for the next 10 years. I could honestly see that. As cynical as I am, yo, if that happened, oh my god, like, my brain would melt, I wouldn't be able to process it. It sounds like, it looks like they're ready to do that. That's what it yeah. feels like. Deploying troops in all the major cities. Here's the thing. I see soft coup. I still see soft coup. I see, oh, wow. You know, Moss was so close. Oh, 9%. Isn't that crazy? And then in the runoff, oh, looks like Meza beat him by 50% uh, plus one. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. Right? I think that is much more what they would prefer to do. Yeah, but also we got to remember as well, like the people who are in charge of transporting ballots around that is the military which is what a lot of observers are saying, that when in the fucking history of elections do you ever see the military patrolling polling stations, making sure ballots are, are valid? You know what I mean? Like, that's that's that shit. Like, soft coup, maybe, doesn't matter how the coup's gonna happen, like, it's gonna be fucking bullshit. Which is why they will rig it. Which is why they will rig it. What I am saying is that Meza winning outright in the first round, I don't know, man. Like I said, I'm as cynical as the next guy. I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, like in the sense of them rigging it, in the sense that they would rig it for Mesa in the first round and just not be bothered with the second one. I, I'm still not I'm not saying that's my prediction. I'm still pretty sure we we called it, you know, a couple months ago. Um, yeah, that's right. We called it a couple months ago. Um, but with what's happening, it wouldn't surprise me. It, I would not be shocked that they just say, fuck it. You know, mask off. We're going for it. You know, it'd be wild if none of this shit happened. If everything went off without a hitch, how like the right wingers are like, well, I guess must one. Okay. Could you imagine? How about this for a scorching hot take? I think that has more of a chance of happening than Mezer winning outright in the first round, to be honest. I, I will. I'll, I'll be optimistic. How about that? People. I think there is a chance that Moss wins tomorrow. I do. I'm not completely ruling it out. And and here's why. Here's the only reason why. You got Ilhan Omar tweeting about it. You got people in Bolivia. There are good people in Bolivia that are actually tasked with the, the objective of observing. Obviously, they're going to be obstructed. This It's, it's going to depend on the numbers. It's going to yeah. depend on the numbers. That's right. That's right. With Felipe Quispe endorsing, oh, man. Like, it, it, this is the kind of situation where if Moss wins by, like, 20% legitimately, 
the regime might be fucked. And now, when I say the regime would be fucked, do am I saying that uh, Moss will win the election outright tomorrow and everything will be happy and good? Fuck no. I think even if Moss were to win, I wouldn't rule out like just like a military coup. And okay, cool, the generals are officially in power now. Um, I think fundamentally, though there may be a chance that Moss does win outright tomorrow, I still don't see Moss ever getting power again anytime soon, regardless. Keep in mind that that already happened. That happened last year. The coup happened because of a vote, because Avo won again, right? So if it happened once before, a year ago, it can happen again. Devastating. Thunderously devastating point, because exactly. Exactly. Even if Moss wins tomorrow, that's not going to be enough. That, that's that's basically where I have, have come down on. Maybe they'll win tomorrow. Maybe. I, I think they'll get fucked regardless. But even if they do, I... Just a thought I had now. What do you guys reckon of a potential like clash of civilizations or whatever? We get like largely indigenous Bolivians and largely white um, Bolivians full on civil war after this. Like, would like do you think that'll be a thing, or you think that the right wing will just clamp down totally and just business as usual? Well, it's well. I mean, it's, it's exactly what Austin said about the Guatemala comparison. <laughs> You know, Guatemala was in the middle of a civil war for 50 years that broke along uh, indigenous versus Criollo lines, uh, working class versus upper class lines. Um, All these this kind of fractures happened where basically the people at the bottom were fighting those at the top and their fucking uh, their goons and shit. Exactly. And this is precisely why I use the Guatemala example. This isn't just something pulled out of my ass like, oh, well, they're Inca and they're Maya. That's the same thing, right? No, 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 no. no. It's because this was a 50-year-long civil war. Some would call it a a low-intensity civil war, which is bullshit in my opinion. Something that I always find interesting about... Tell that to the fucking victims. Tell that to the fucking women raped, to the fucking children chopped up into pieces. Something that I find very interesting... Yeah. Something that I find very interesting about the Guatemalan Civil War is that who's the person that's always framed as like, oh, dude, this was the mass murderer, Efrain Rios Mont. He was in power for like two fucking years, right? It's always scapegoated as, oh, Efrain. There was like 10 other motherfuckers doing the same thing. Rios Mont rightfully gets a bad rap because he oversaw some of the bloodiest things that happened. But guess what? Rios Mont also wasn't the guy that did the initial coup. He was in charge in, uh, like, uh, it was either the early 80s or the late 70s. This coup in Bolivia could happen now, and we could easily be waiting for the bloodiest parts of it for two decades, right? Just because of what happened right now. Because you'll see a struggle that will divide over racial lines for who the fuck knows how long. And it's a crucial point that they, again, why it's, it's Guatemala, not Chile, that you look to is because... They've had over a decade to build independent working class and indigenous institutions beforehand, right? That's the most important point. People, again, this is uh, the problem with history or, or learning about history. We see dates and we don't think about it. You know, we, we hear about our bends. How many people know about the fact that it was 10 years? You know, how yep. many people know that? Uh, it's very few, I guarantee you, at least in the United States and in Australia. I, I highly doubt it. It's because of that that it was a project that was uh, crushed. That was, or not. That's the wrong language. That's more of a Chilean example. Um, it's an example of a of a of a project that was, yeah, exactly, systematically torn apart. On that note. <laughs> On that note.
Uh, yeah. So, anyway, look, all I got to say is, I hate to use the example, but thoughts and prayers to the people of Bolivia. Solidarity with the people of Bolivia. Fucking man, like, stay strong, because that shit's going to be fucking ridiculous. And I hope all you motherfuckers out there who were at the beginning, and also you talk about it all the time, who were at the beginning, yeah, but look, Evo, he was trying to go for his fourth term, so maybe, fuck you, man, like, fuck you, this, look, look where we are now, and I hope all of you who were there are now on the side of the Bolivian people, ready to support in every single way that we can. And I hope you recognize that this is exactly what will happen to Venezuela or Nicaragua or wherever the fuck else if you do this exactly, exactly. in those places. And this is not to say, oh, Venezuela and Nicaragua are perfect. Fuck no. It's about recognizing the nuances of the situation. And it'll happen in the United States and Australia, too, if there are ever a social democratic or socialist politicians in uh, the kind of power to the degree that uh, uh, Evo or Chavez did. Something to remember. Fucking Goff Whitlam. We talked about it. He was fucking CIA cooed, man. Right, right. The, the, the fucking queen was complicit in that shit. You know? And all he did was pass Medicare for all. He symbolically passed land back to Aboriginal people. What the fuck happened to him? Look what the fuck happened to him. Anyway. It... it... <sighs> I think it, it kind of demonstrates just a lack of, I, I, I get, I don't know if maturity is the word or uh, just perspective. Obviously, as communists, as anti-capitalists, as people, we, we want to abolish governments and big business and all that stuff. We want to break down the barriers and all that shit. But <laughs> you have to remember that it's easier to 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 dance with someone who wants to dance with you, like Evo and Chavez and these pink tide governments did with the social movements, than it is with someone like a Bolsonaro or a Camacho or you know a Pinochet. You know, it's yeah. I don't know if it's it's just a lack of 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 perspective or just a kind of a puritanical uh, obsession with. You know, being well, you know, I'd rather be right than advance or win anything. Don't forget, people. Don't forget what the fuck I said last week. I'm not the Pope. I can't issue bulls. I can't do encyclicals <laughs> or creeds or whatever the fuck else they do, right? Encyclicals and bulls, actually. Yeah, and whatever the fuck the Pope did recently, whatever the fuck that was called. That, that was an encyclical. It's a good one. You should read it. Exactly. But. Tomorrow, Camacho, Añez, Mesa, I am declaring holy war, goddammit, for all leftists across the world. Be aware of what the fuck is going on in Bolivia. Because yep. this this is a, a pivotal moment for the international left. Holy war, motherfuckers. Yeah, and on that note, I'm seeing a lot of people on Twitter and social media like rightfully coming out, showing the solidarity, expressing solidarity for Bolivia. But... I worry that that's sort of an individual sort of solidarity. We need to be looking at this in the context of Latin America, of the global south generally. So I hope that that solidarity that they're showing for Bolivia today, because we have the election tomorrow, extends and is just part of the greater fabric of global solidarity. You know what I mean? And you can definitely look into organizations like Collecto Cosway, who uh, who are Bolivians yeah. who are trying to, you know, who are organizing stateside um, you know, solidarity demonstrations, um, 
you know, educating uh, other people on the struggles down there. You know, it's not enough to know about this stuff. It's not enough to know the theory or the news. It's important to put this shit into practice and to actually do. Practice. Also, also, my God. Also, our comrades, who I definitely would be playing, praying for, Kausachun Koka, right? Yeah. They're already, they're already gunning for him, man. You saw the news report of the dude saying, oh, yeah, these guys are lucky we're not a dictatorship, because if we were, we'd be prosecuting them for sedition. Oh, my God. Fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah, that was Murillo, the same guy who's already threatening that if there's any, if anyone says anything remotely negative about the election, sedition, terrorism, all that fucking bullshit. He's a fucking piece of shit, man. Like, get the fuck out of here. Um, anyway, yeah, so... We're already way over time, and just quickly to cleanse the palate, again, shout out to um, New Zealand, Aotearoa, big win for the Labour Party there, which is even more significant within the context of Labour parties globally having a shit time the last few years. So big news with um, Jacinda Ardem, the Prime Minister, was re-elected, biggest blowout victory since like World War II or something, big victory for the Greens there as well, but also kind of a big victory for a far right-wing party as well. They're not going to have any collective power, so there's that, but they're still present. But again, congrats to all the comrades in New Zealand, so hopefully some of that shit can blow up over here in Australia. Um, but with that said, again, thanks for tuning in. Um, again, if you like what we do, if you support what we do, um, consider showing your solidarity on our Patreon so we could just put out a bunch of cool projects for y'all. We have a few things that we've been talking about, so hopefully with your support, we'll be actually able to make those um, materialize. Um, again, all eyes on Bolivia ahead of the election, all eyes on Chile with the referendum next week, all eyes on Latin America generally, as usual. Um, and watch out for part three of our installment, a uh, part three of our, our series on the Bolivian Constitution, super, super relevant, that we'll be recording soon, hopefully, and getting to you soon, hopefully, as well. Um, been ex- happy to do those. We might take a little bit of break from doing constitutions as far as they are. They're a bit full on. Um, we've been talking about a few other things, so hopefully um, we'll, 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 we'll cross that bridge when we get there. That is unless we feel like doing an impromptu making fun of how shitty the Chilean constitution is, but that'll be out of solidarity to our Chilean comrades. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, with that said, thanks for tuning in, and um, we'll catch you guys next time. Hasta la victoria. Cheers. Later, y'all. Later.